Do you remember your first day at a new job? Scrolling your playlist for something to pump you up on your commute? Fiddling with your collar in the elevator? Is this too casual with jeans? Nervously practicing your greeting before logging on to your first team meeting? Hello, I'm Alana. Hey, my name's Alana. Hi, I'm Alana. But no matter where you work, there is one experience most of us share on that first day. You need to input your computer and login code. All right, here is your 16-digit employee ID number. Get ready hey, to write we'll it down. Okay, so the blank portal personal check. employee health hey, insurance will be So many forms. So many passwords. It's all pretty overwhelming. On top of the fact that you need to do your actual job. Nobody likes doing administrative work. But I've always felt like I had less patience and tolerance for that than than most people. Today, how too much paperwork convinced one founder that there was a business in simplifying employee administration. I said, you know, I feel like there's $100 billion sitting on the floor right there in front of us. And it's invisible to everyone else. But we know exactly what we need to do. You know, my first question was... Are people going to get it? I'm Alana Strauss, and you're listening to When It Clicked, an original podcast from ClickUp. On this podcast, we meet the people behind the business stories and the products that you think you know, and bring you the secret history of how it all came together, to the one moment when it all finally clicked. Today, How one founder's struggle to onboard his own staff led him to start and leave a company he built before finally creating a billion-dollar business around a radical idea for better employee management software. This is When It Clicked for Rippling. That's when it clicked, yeah. The year was 2007. Tech companies were on a tear, and legions of ambitious folks were flocking to San Francisco to build their startup. Parker Conrad was one of them. He'd left a good job in pharmaceuticals to found a company called SigFig. And like many founders, he was doing it all, including putting new hires on the payroll. I'd have to ask, you know, okay, what's your social security number, your home address? And I'd always, of course, forget to do that until it was time to run payroll, at which point I'd sort of do it frantically and say, oh, like, what, you know, what's this information so that we can get you added in the system? And then when you enrolled them in insurance, their only way to do that was really to fax something in. And so you need to get them to fill out a form manually. And then I'd need to stop off at Kinko's after work because we didn't own a printer and we definitely didn't own a fax machine. It wasn't exactly the best use of Parker's time, but it was what he had to do to bring new people into the company. People like Matt Epstein. Matt had quit his job at an ad agency in Atlanta to chase his dream of working in tech, right as the dot-com bubble was bursting. After six months without a single job interview, he decided to get creative. So I basically on a mustache and begged Google for a job uh, via YouTube, which was still fairly new at the time. Google, please sit, as they often say in Canada. And I also paid to have a propeller plane fly around their campus with my URL. I printed out six foot cardboard cutouts of myself and shipped them to every single HR department. So some poor HR person 
somewhere in their office probably still has a giant cardboard cutout of me uh, with my URL. Matt's unusual job search worked. He got some media coverage and a bunch of offers from tech companies. But instead, he opted to join Parker and his team at SigFig. I wanted to really go the startup route, and I thought Parker's idea was really interesting at the time. And so I joined because of the idea, but also Parker's passion is is really infectious. And anyone who knows Parker can pretty much tell you the same thing. SigFig, the startup Parker had co-founded, was creating software to automate investment advice. And the business was solid, but Parker had come up with a new idea for a different company, a company that would help others avoid all those long hours faxing documents at Kinko's. Nobody likes doing administrative work, but I've always felt like I had less patience and tolerance for that than than most people. So in 2012, Parker left SigFig to start a brand new company. The business idea was pretty straightforward. Parker wanted to take all that manual administrative work he'd been doing to onboard employees and put it all online. He wanted to create a company to solve for a problem he had faced as a business owner. Matt saw the problem, too. If you were a business eight-ish years ago, literally the only way for you to get health insurance was to go to a broker to fill out paper forms, and then that broker had to fax them to the insurance carriers because literally the only way to get health insurance was through a fax machine. Parker was back in startup mode. And once again, he convinced Matt to join him. He told me the idea, and I forget if I asked him or he asked me, but one of us brought up the idea of helping get the first, you know, 30 customers. And so that's what I did. You know, I I moonlit at SigFig, just sort of doing this on the side for the first six months because it was me and Parker in his kitchen. You know, I wasn't getting paid. I was, I was being paid in Papalote Burritos, which is a good Mexican chain in San Francisco. The company they were building was Zenefits. And while it started as an online health insurance tool, it quickly grew to become more. And so I had spent the last few months sort of getting ready for launch, positioning and messaging this thing as an online health insurance tool. And at the last minute, Parker's like, you know, I actually think there's a bigger opportunity here to sort of integrate all this HR stuff together and automate all of it. In the spring of 2013, Zenefits launched through startup incubator Y Combinator. It was offering software to help businesses manage payroll, health insurance, and employee benefits, all in one place. And it quickly became a success. After just eight months, Zenefits was on track to make $1 million in reoccurring revenue. Big-name investors got on board, and in just a few years, the startup grew from 15 to more than 1,500 employees. But with this rapid success came scrutiny. In the end, Parker left Zenefits in February 2016. But he couldn't stop thinking about that first idea he'd had when he started the company three years earlier. With Zenefits, for most of my time there, I was the only admin for the system. So I was personally doing most of the things related to employee onboarding including doing things like creating email accounts and adding people to email lists and stuff like that. And so I sort of saw the same headache over there that I saw over here that, you know, man, it's a pain in the butt getting people set up in all these different places. And we made small tentative steps in that direction while I was at Zenefits. We spun up an integration with G Suite and one or two other places. 
But then those projects were largely shut down, I think, as a distraction once I left. And my conviction was that actually that was the future. Joey Price has seen the same inefficiencies. His first job in HR was 15 years ago at a large law firm. And he spent his days manually inputting employee data into a bunch of different software platforms. Trying to understand, is that a 4 or an H? Is that a 3 or an E? Is that a 1 or an I? Today he runs Jumpstart HR, a Baltimore-based HR outsourcing and project management company. And he admits HR technology can be a tough sell. HR is one of the last frontiers for uh, mass adoption of technology at work. When a HR professional goes to an executive to say, hey, we need this tool, it's going to make our organization great. The executive's vantage point is, I thought that's what I pay you to do. Joey says that HR technology hasn't done a great job marketing its tools. And tech adoption in his industry? Well, it's slow. When we think about why effective HR technology should be critical uh, and mandatory in every organization is that you have to realize that HR is one of the few departments that touches every single employee on a daily basis. And so having tools that work not only for your HR team, but also for your employees should be a no-brainer because essentially it, it helps them get back working faster if you're not having to decipher through paperwork to complete tasks or you're not having to spend a lot of time typing in data where you could just have a tool or technology that knows to autofill and auto-populate. Parker saw the same inefficiencies in HR processes. By running his own companies and onboarding his own staff, he'd figured out there was a gap to fill. And the software he'd worked on at Zenefits, he was convinced it was just the tip of the iceberg. I think, you know, at my last company, I think a lot of people misunderstood what made Zenefits work well while it was working. They thought that what the business built was online health insurance. And I think what I actually understood was that having insurance be done online was a precondition to being able to have this all-in-one system for HR, but that what was really leading people to buy, you know, having seen it on tens of thousands of customer demos and across tens of thousands of clients, was this idea that you could click a button and everything happened automatically and so you didn't have to deal with a dozen different systems. Parker wanted to build software to replace all the different employee data systems out there, an automated, integrated employee management system. And the goal was, instead of condensing a dozen systems, how do we condense thousands of them? All the different things that companies are using and have one system that manages employee information broadly across the entire organization. This was when it clicked for Parker. And so, just a few months after leaving Zenefits, he set out to launch another startup. He called the company Rippling. The sort of challenge of building the company that we wanted to build was because there was a lot to do. There's a lot of software to build. There were a lot of things that we needed to integrate with, a lot of pieces that we needed to do ourselves. They were building the product for about a year and a half in Parker's basement. <laughs> so you literally had Parker's house, and then below that, in this concrete basement, he somehow managed to convince engineers to work for him. I mean, there's nothing fun about that early part of building the company. It's a real slog. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And Parker wasn't 25 anymore. This was his third startup. 
the stakes were pretty high. Even people who knew him well had questions about his vision for Rippling. People like co-founder Prasanna Sankar. I remember we were just at the very early stages of kind of getting off the ground. And Prasanna asked me, said, why do you want to take on something that seems somewhat similar to your last company? And I said, you know, Prasanna, I feel like there's $100 billion sitting on the floor right there in front of us. And it's invisible to everyone else. They're all walking by it and they don't see it lying right there. But we know exactly what we need to do. We know exactly how to build this. We know that people want it. We've seen it at Zenefits. All we need to do is just walk over there and pick it up. And that's all that's required. What was actually required? Well, it turned out to be a little more involved. Those engineers in Parker's basement, in the end, it took them almost two years to build the software he'd envisioned. What I didn't know is how long it would take to build that thing. It might take longer than we expected, but you know, as long as we could build it, I, I did not suffer from any doubt or uncertainty that if we built that, it wouldn't work. After all that engineering in the back end, Parker was convinced the product was solid. Like many entrepreneurs, he had a vision. But getting others to share it, there's still a lot of work to do on the basics, like marketing. Early on, our, our product marketing was extremely unsophisticated. We had this one-page marketing website that I really liked, but everyone else at the company hated and was deeply embarrassed about. Matt Epstein, who was our CMO, refused to update his LinkedIn profile to say that he was working there until we replaced the marketing website. That was sort of how, how bad it was. Here's how Matt remembers it. And actually, Parker tried to recruit me after Zenefits for a year. He tried me to get to join Rippling. And for a year, I'm like, not interested. I don't want to do Zenefits Plus. You know, the whole adding IT onto HR is kind of neat, but not really my thing. And a year later, it wasn't until I saw the product where I was like, oh, I get, I get what you're trying to do here. Matt had always believed one of the biggest indicators of a company's success was how customers react to their product. So before considering the job offer, he asked to sit in on a customer demo of Rippling software. And literally the first demo I hopped on was with, you know, an HR woman in the Midwest blue collar company. So in general, not an early adopter demographic wise. And, you know, halfway through the call, in her really thick Southern accent, her words, not mine, uh, she goes, holy f that is so cool. How are you doing that? And that was, I think, the point at which a lot of my concerns were resolved. And I just knew, based off of Zenefits, that Parker was on to something again um, and ended up joining. Matt had been down this road before with Parker. He joined the company as chief marketing officer for Rippling. But the title was where the glamour ended. And they had moved from a basement into what was either a sort of <laughs> dilapidated apartment or a dilapidated apartment converted into like a dilapidated office. But it was me and, you know, probably roughly about 20 people. To get Rippling into market, Matt had a lot of work to do. You know, my first question was, are people going to get it? To start, he had to fix the website. But on a more fundamental level, 
He had to figure out how to explain what Rippling was offering in a way that customers could understand it. People don't know what they want until they see it. And so, you know, if you're just coming in looking for payroll and we start talking to you about the system that can unify every single one of your business systems and allow you to automate it, that's obviously the pretty grandiose value prop that you weren't coming in the door looking for. And so I think this problem is pretty unique to us, but it's a line that we've, you know, really had to walk pretty carefully since day one. This was the challenge Matt was facing in marketing Rippling's product. He needed to do more than just explain a product that people had never really seen before. He needed to change mindsets. I think this sort of underlying issue is the current space has a very narrow view of employee management. You know, HR does its thing, IT does its thing, finance does its thing. And in reality, those things are all deeply interconnected. And so I think our mission that we say is we free smart people to work on hard problems. What we mean by that is instead of spending tens and tens and tens of hours manually entering a bunch of data into systems, you instead could actually focus on, you know, the work that matters. In October 2018, after about 18 months in development and testing, Rippling finally started selling. And in the beginning, it was tough. Many people weren't looking for the product Rippling had created. They wanted software for one task, not 20. Investors were skeptical. Candidates were skeptical. People would look at the surface area of the product and they'd think, I don't believe that you can build these 10 things all at the same time and do them well. And for some of the companies that were interested, the idea of Rippling replacing systems they were already using, like payroll, was a sticking point. Like our marketing website did not even have the word payroll on it. And it was very purposeful because in the early days, we were scared that no one would want to talk to us if they thought that they'd have to replace their payroll system to use us, that they'd be too nervous that a startup couldn't do payroll effectively. And so we were sort of purposefully vague about the payroll piece so that we could sort of introduce that concept later in the sales process and say, look, we can solve all these challenges that you're having administratively in your company. And by the way, one of the ways that we can do that is you actually have to give us payroll because there's no way for us to do it unless we're doing that for you. But we sort of saved that, you know, until later in the conversation. And so we didn't want to have it on the marketing website. And that led to these weird dynamics where someone was like, I can't buy a payroll product from a company whose website doesn't use the word payroll. Eventually, Rippling did add a payroll page to its website and other pages outlining the different tasks its software could automate. Payroll, single user sign-on, device management, security, Rippling was offering it all. Parker's early vision of creating an all-in-one employee management system was a reality and a business that was growing fast. Six months after launch, the company had raised $45 million in the first round of financing. Parker knew his gamble was paying off. The joke that we always had internally was that we weren't building, you know, one company where we were building seven. And we sort of made that joke and were somewhat embarrassed about it because at the time we thought like, well, that was like a bad thing to do. And I've since de developed a real conviction that actually that was exactly the right approach, that there were and are enough people that are building sort of one extremely narrow product or service. 
And that actually the next wave of really big successful companies are going to build what I call compound products that you you actually build multiple products that work together coherently in sort of one cohesive system. Today, Rippling is doubling down on this philosophy, building more products to integrate everything from employee spending accounts to software permissions. Just three years after its first product launch, it had more than 800 employees, and investors have valued the company at $6.5 billion. Rippling is now worth more than Zenefits at its peak, all because Parker saw a business problem that no one else had recognized. He realized, I think, because of Zenefits, that this problem of disconnected data, disconnected systems, it's actually far broader and far deeper than just HR, which I think when people think an employee, they just think, oh, payroll benefits. You know, I think ultimately what always made Parker successful on the product side is he always asked himself, how should this stuff work? I've always felt like everyone's job has some stuff involved that, you know, is not your favorite part of the day that feels sort of low level and like a grind. And so one of the things that is a little bit perverse about Rippling is I think a lot of the things that we're building, I take a lot of pleasure in sort of stamping out that kind of work for everyone else. And so the things that we handle are the things that otherwise, like most people wouldn't want to deal with. Rippling seems to have figured out its value to customers and how to keep growing the business. But at the same time, Matt says he and Parker have no illusions about the road ahead. There hasn't been a day that's gone by in my career where I haven't been paranoid. Um, even today, the company is very successful. There's, there's no Achilles heels. There's no big red flags. But even today, I find it really hard personally to celebrate and say we are successful you know, we've got a long road ahead in changing the way people think about and operate their workforce. Not to use like really lame Silicon Valley language, but I definitely think there's there's going to be a paradigm shift. And I hope Rippling is the one who sort of is the winner at the end of the shift, but it's definitely going to be someone. Like people are going to be working in the equivalent of Salesforce, but for the employee record over the course of the next decade, 100%. That I'm confident about. Now, I'm, of course, crossing my fingers and and praying every day that it's rippling, um, but it's definitely going to be someone. You've been listening to When It Clicked, an original podcast from ClickUp. I'm Alana Strauss. Everyone's got a story to tell. We've all been there when we thought we would fail. Just like Rippling, ClickUp is committed to simplifying tasks so businesses can focus on what matters. For more information, visit ClickUp.com to discover how we're making the world more productive. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review in your favorite podcasting app. See you in two weeks. That's what it